Hello and welcome back to the lecture series with Reb T, which we try to do in a bi-weekly basis, Blineder. The year where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic is don't vilify, but sanctify. Sources come from safaria.org and h.com unless noted otherwise. Look out for the points to carry over the PTCs to take with you, hopefully from the sheer. All of my shirim are on shirenjoyment.com slash shiurim slash shiurim dash reb dash t slash. Shout out to Jake W. and Ellie N. for all their amazing hard work on sheer enjoyment. The lecture series, the PAL, the audio DT and OT talk. Four of my five shows are on different podcast forums, while the audio DDD, the fifth show, the Dafyomi show, is on sheer enjoyment's website itself. If you have any feedback... Any questions, any comments, any suggestions, any topic ideas or suggestions for that, or just want to reach out or even to say hi, please feel free to email me anytime at rebt at sheerenjoyment.com. That's R-E-B-T at S-H-I-U-R-E-N-J-O-Y-M-E-N-T dot com. Rebt at sheerenjoyment.com if you want to touch base for any reason. The shear should serve as a chus and an aliyah for those who perished in Meron, those who passed away in the attacks on Israel in recent weeks as well in recent years, as well as those who are taken this year. The shear should also serve as a chus and Yeshua and Rafua for anyone sick, anyone needing a Yeshua or Rafua, especially those with any sickness, any illness, any machala, any condition or any salvation needed. May everyone be healed completely with a full Every generation has its struggles. Every generation has its pitfalls. Every generation has its challenges. In one generation, it was Loa Lenu dying Al Kiddush Hashem, such as in the times of the Holocaust, the Shoah, or the Ten Martyrs, the Harsara Haruge Malchus during the Roman Empire that the Gemara goes through brutal brutal depictions of those saintly characters. In another generation, it meant living for Shabbos, even at the cost of losing your job. They would say, if you're not going to come in on Saturday, then don't bother coming in on Monday. I believe that for us, the struggle of this generation may be living a life where we have to sanctify God's name, Hashem's name, in our lives combating the moral corruption and lack of values in society today and the world at large. It, as is, it is as if the Satan, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, was let loose on society. As Rabbi Schaefer explains in one of his schmoozes, theschmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z, there is a fundamental lack of morals and modesty and a lack of respect without sanctity of society for Hashem or His Torah in all aspects of the societies of the world. Rabbi Schaefer explains it's as if the, the, the Yetzirah was literally let out of the box, let loose to run free rampant around the world. We need to fix that. We need to change that. We need to be the impetus. It all starts with us, day by day, in large and in small ways. The question is how to do so. 
How can we incorporate living a life where we don't vilify, but we at, where we actually sanctify our lives, the lives of those around us, and we make a sanctification of Hashem's name throughout the world? I believe it can be done, especially through the little things. For example, personally, on a tiny level, I specifically purposefully wear my kippah proudly at work in the public school system of New York. I work for the city of New York in the public schools. I'm an occupational therapist. And I dafka wear my kippah this week. This year, obviously, I was remote. And last year at the end. But in general, working in person, I purposely wear the kippah. I don't wear it outside when walking or on the train due to fear of dangerous areas or people, usually wearing a hat or the like. But in the school, in the boroughs of New York, City, I want the people around me to know when I'm working in the school that I'm a walking ambassador of Hashem, of the Jewish people, and of the Jewish land. If I am doing a good job, then they can reflect on the whole Jewish people and of Hashem Himself. If I can be upright, honest, helpful, Generous and the like at work, it can make a small difference and make a small Kiddush Hashem even where I work, especially where I work. On a side note, on a minuscule level as well, I purposefully talk Jewish, quote-unquote Jewish, on my non-Jewish specific related podcast of OT Talk with Mr. T. Occupational Therapy Talk with Mr. T, otherwise known as On Target Talk with Mr. T, otherwise known as Overtime Talk with Mr. T. For the first three years of the show, basically two and a half years, I don't even think my readers, my listeners, my audience knew that I was Jewish. But this year I said we're going to step it up, we're going to reveal to the world that I'm an Orthodox Jewish person that could talk OT, that could talk relatable aspects of all aspects of life where we talk 10 minutes or less tips, ideas, suggestions, and the like, especially this season, talking for the love of this, for the love of that, different ideas, how to relate to people. I purposefully made episodes this year talking about Jewish items like the kippah, episodes related to Hanukkah, to Purim, for the love of Hanukkah, for the love of Purim, to Pesach, Shavuos, and Shabbos, for the love of Pesach, for the love of Shavuos, and the love of Shabbos. I talk all the time on that show about Jewish ideals and ideas and values as well as Israel itself. It's a tiny way to spread the wonderfulness of Hashem and the Torah to non-Jewish specific listeners, especially using my passion for radio and audio to try to make a tiny difference. Of course, the other shows that I run are Jewish themed, so hopefully... Those podcasts make a tiny difference in the world as well, sanctifying Hashem's name in audio lessons related to specific topics like the lecture series as well as those related to Pirkei Avos, the Daf, and the Parsha. If you're interested in any of them on any level, I can explain it to you. Feel free to email rebt at sheerenjoyment.com. We can each use our talents to make a tiny Kiddush Hashem. If you can do audio, you like to do audio like I do, do it. If you can write, do it. If you can speak for others, do it. Just do it, as Nike says, Lahavdil. Whatever you can do, do it for the sake of the Torah. Do it for the sake of Hashem. Do it for the sake of making a Kiddush Hashem. 
Use your talents for Hashem and the world at large. We each can do what we can in our own lives to try to bring Kiddush Hashem to those around us or those we interact with on a daily basis, traveling to work or being at work or interacting and involving ourselves with other people. We can give up our seat to someone who needs it more. I find it fascinating when I was in yeshiva for two years studying abroad in Israel and Rashid in Beit Shemesh and I took buses here and there. One of the interesting things that are on the bus is it says, Mibnei Seva Takum. Do you know where that comes from? That's a, a pasuk or a saying that's found in the Gemara or in the Chumash itself. And then the, the, the ending is, V'hadarta Pnei Zakim. But even the people around Israel, not even Datiyim, not even religious people who run the, the, the buses and whatnot, they know, Mibnei Seva Takum. It's a play on words. Get up from your seat. Give it to someone. Stand up for an elderly person. Stand up for someone who needs it more. Lahavdil here in America, or around the world, give up your seat to someone who needs it more. Not just rising for someone out of respect, literally giving someone your seat. We can hold an umbrella over someone else at the bus stop in the pouring rain. We can hail a cab for someone who needs it more. There are so many ways to do so. When we go to get a drink from a store, or we pass the security guard of our kid's school, make the extra effort to smile, say hello, say thank you, go above and beyond, let people know we as the Jewish people are a people of kindness, of generosity and love. The Gemara says, how do we know the hallmark of being someone who is a child of Avraham Avinu? And Pirkei talks about how do we know that we're from Avram and not Bilam Arusha, God forbid, we are people that are Baishanim. We are people that are Rachamamim. Rachamamim. And we are people that are giving. We are people that have a good giving atmosphere. We are people that are generous. People that are kind. That People that are, have Rachmanis. People that really do for others, give for others, and sanctify God's name in this world. I apologize again for my allergies and whatnot. Hope you don't hear it too much. So what we could do is we get up and we give and we do for others. We have to smile and talk nicely to those around you. When calling customer service or an office or the like, always start off the conversation. I really try to do this, Blineder. Hi, how are you today? The people on the other line, I guarantee, will be off-put and will be offset, and they will be taken aback. Why? Because every other person calls Conrad and says, What did you do to me? You stole all my electricity. You shut off my heat. What is going on here? Fix it right now. When you start a conversation and you say, Hi, how are you today? You automatically do not put them on the defensive. You put it on an even level playing field. You make it into a conversation. You make it into a give and take, and you make it into a back and forth. You make it into a more pleasant interaction. Oftentimes, Blinadra, I try to remember in addition that I will ask for the name of the person on the call. I will say, hi, what's your name? Who's helping me? How do I make sure who this is? And they'll say, hi, this is Charlie. This is Todd. This is um, Sam. This is whatever. And it makes it into a much more pleasant experience for both parties. It makes the person on the other end that you're talking to them feel more human. It makes them feel like a respected party on the call. You know, 
I once heard a story from someone who went through a loss, Lolina, nobody should know from such things. They lost an early on pregnancy and they, they, they randomly called someone from Zappos. I shared this on one of my other podcasts the other day also. They're talking to someone from Zappos and they said, you know, I need to return these tiny, tiny toddler girl shoes. I thought I was having a girl. It didn't work out, Lolina. And the lady on the Zappos line stopped, was quiet. And said in response, I cannot believe you just told me that. Do you know, I also recently just had a loss. And they went on to talk for 45 minutes. All because they originally said, hi, how are you today? And she said, I'm not doing so great. She said, what's wrong? What's your name? She said, I'm Samantha and I'm Carolyn. I'm making up the names. And I have to return these toddler girls shoes because Lowell knew I had a loss. And they ended up having one of the best conversations that either of them could have thought of in years. And Samantha, who was the one that spoke about it to us, said, this is my Zappos story. I reached out to the person just to return a pair of shoes, but I got far more than returning the shoes. By talking to the person, respecting the person, and opening up conversation with the person, I felt like I had a friend on the phone, and who cares that it was even Zappos? Who cares that it was even returning shoes? It was literally that I was able to connect with the person. That's what can happen. You know, many times I've called customer service, lahabdo, lahabdo, throughout the years. This year especially, I hear, you know, one time I heard like a rooster in the background, cockadoodling, and I'm like, what time is it over there? Are you on a farm? Another time I heard like three kids like killing each other in the background. I'm like, ah, oh, I could totally relate. I have three little kids and uh, they're ripping up my house. It makes it into a conversation, makes it into a respected call, and each person can relate. And the person was able to laugh because they know I totally understand what's going on for them because my kids are running around, their kids are running around, everybody's working remote. So it really makes it into a respected party in the call. You know, it doesn't even have to be that you're revealed, that you're Jewish or whatnot. You just make them feel more human. It's good derech in general. Derech haretz kadmala Torah. You're supposed to have derech even before we talk about Torah and bring Torah into the picture. It's really the little things that count. Thanking those around us that help in any way. The sanitation workers, the mailmen, public safety, the firemen, the gardeners, etc., especially while in our Jewish garb of our kippah and tzitzis for men, as well as the Jewish garb for the females as well. Do you know that my mailman, we could call him Charles, that's not his name, you know, I could tell him, hi Charles, how are you today? Thank you so much for bringing a mail. How are you doing? Charles can go on his way and say, ah, the Jewish guy on that street in the middle of, of the neighborhood that he lives in, he actually wished me a good day. No on my other patrons, none of my other customers ever take the time to say hello to me. Those Jewish people are really a shining example. If he said such a thing, that bedafka would be a tiny example of Kiddush Hashem. And what does it cost me? What does it cost you to say hi to Charles, my mailman? Does it hurt does it take any time out of my day besides for the five seconds and I could bring a smile to his face? I can ask him how he's feeling, how he's faring, how his family's doing. Thank you so much for bringing us our mail. You know, when you drop off your Amazon packages, my kids love it. Amazon's here again. Thank you, Charles. It doesn't take anything from my life. It doesn't take any extra aspect. It doesn't take any money. It doesn't really take any effort. It's a couple of words, a couple of minutes. You really could change their day. We're supposed to be a mamlachas khan in Vigai Kadosh. We're supposed to be a kingdom, a kingship of priests and a nation that is a holy nation. 
We're supposed to be an or lagoyim, a light to the nations. What are we doing in our own lives that are actually becoming a shining example, a shining life to others? Can you wake up every day and say, yes, today I will do X, Y, and Z to be an or lagoyim. Yes, I could do A, B, and C to be Mekadashem Shemaim. Can you go to sleep every night pointing at least one thing you did today that wasn't Orla Goyim? One thing you did today that made an impact on others, that made their day? You know, today was Memorial Day, so my wife and I took our kids to a nearby botanic garden just to get out a little bit. I love the botanic gardens. We've been there before. And, you know, we're running around. We're walking around, and the two of them helped me push with my wife, helped me push the little one in the stroller. And, and they get up, and they end. we let them get up and walk around a little bit. And, you know, there's a family walking by, Indian or whatnot, definitely not Jewish. And, you know, they're going about their day, you know, whatever happened in their day. And they look a little solemn and serious. But as they walk by, and my kids are waving and smiling at them, they were able to have a nice smile. They're able to crack a smile and feel a little jovial, a little simcha in their life, a little happiness in their life, feel a little laughter. Kids are so innocent. Kids are so wonderful. Kids can really be joy to those around us. So in a tiny, tiny way, my kids were able to bring a little simcha to these random strangers' life. Let them smile, you know, wave to them. What can we say we did today? What can we say our kids did today? Every day we should be able to pinpoint one thing, at least one thing, that we did to be Mekadashim Shemayim. If I do my podcast during the week and I mention one thing about Israel, how they're a shining example of wonderfulness in many ways, I can mention one thing about the Jewish people or one thing in my own life I try to do and I see it comes from a Jewish religious religious orthodox OT and it helps them, that could be the one thing for the day. What do we do in our own life? You know, on Shabbos when we walk across town to an outdoor mini, my wife and I and our kids and we come back, we always try to talk, we try to talk to the crossing guard, not Jewish. How are you today? Let's call her Christina. You know, this older lady, um, she's retiring soon. She's been a crossing guard for maybe 25 years, helping out the community we live in, helping everybody cross the street. Thank you so much, Christina, for keeping us safe. Thank you so much for helping people be cognizant not to run everybody over, God forbid, not to accidentally run through the light, blowing that whistle, keeping up the stop sign, keeping up your hands, letting people cross the street, public safety people. Anybody we interact with, we can make sure to be Mekadashem Shemaim. And you're Mechayiv to do so. You're wearing the kippah as a man. You're wearing the tzitzes as a man. You're dressed up in the Jewish garb as a lady. Everyone knows you're Jewish. Everyone knows you're Orthodox. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to be as a shining example? What are you going to prove to others? What are you going to bring to others to show that we're chosen for a reason? Not to be better, but to do more. And Mechayiv to do more. We have to be that example for others. In any small way you can do so. You go to the post office and there's 42 people ahead of you. Are you going to raise a conniption that you had to wait so long for your turn? Or are you going to dafka be better when it becomes your turn and say, I'm so proud and happy you guys are helping all of us get our mail around the country. It must be really difficult for you guys going from customer to customer. I can imagine I had to wait 42 people, but you had to go through and service the 42 people to get to me. So being not egocentric, but less selfless. We talk about this in a whole nother lecture, but think about the people serving you. You think it's difficult to wait for them? It's much more difficult for them to get to you. You're already their 43rd person of the day and it's only 11 o'clock. Understand your interactions. Understand how to talk to people and how to interact with people. Yeah, you come to your barista. John gives you your, your, your mocha chai latte and instead of the mocha chai latte, he gave you an iced caramel latte. What are you going to do? You're going to throw it on his face? You're going to open it and spill it on him? 
Are you going to say, thank you so much. You know, I actually wanted an iced latte instead of a hot latte. Thank you so much for giving this. If you go and you berate him, especially while wearing the kippah, you go and yell at him, what have you accomplished? Nothing. You make him feel terrible. You're not going to get your drink in any better state of mind. You humiliate him in public. You did a, a terrible example of a chilol Hashem in public with your kippah. And you show that we're spoiled, entitled people who cannot take any mistakes. You did not accomplish beans. Better to take the drink, the wrong drink, and to run with it than to do anything. Many times I got Dunkin' Donuts for my wife and she got the wrong thing. And I said, should we go back? I'm happy to get you another one. She says, no, I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want to make them feel upset or or diminish that they gave me the wrong thing. You know, they're dealing with a lot of people. They have to get their orders right. Do you think we could have got the orders right for 100 people in a row from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock? Okay, so they gave me a hot decaf latte instead of my iced decaf latte. Is it the end of the world? No. Understand who we're dealing with, we're interacting with. We're supposed to be a shining example and inspiration for the world. On any tiny level, you could do so. Yeah, so your mailman, Charles gave me the, 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 the mail for 92 instead of 86. Am I going to berate him for it? Those are not the numbers of, my, of me or my street, don't worry. Just an example. Am I going to berate him for it or, or sell? Charles, Charles, I'm so sorry, but I think you gave me the wrong mail. Is it possible in any way that I could trouble you for the right mail? I'm so sorry to bother you. I just don't want to take the wrong person's mail. Much better example than, than, than yelling, Charles, this is the wrong mail. What is your problem, man? There is no benefit out of the latter. Many times I was given an extra letter. Do you think I chased down Charles, not his real name, and said to him, why did you give me the mail for 75? You're supposed to give me for 86. No, I took the letter and I dropped it off myself, subtly, secretly, quietly. There's no reason to let Charles have to know about this tiny mistake. Okay, we all make mistakes. He's dealing with hundreds of people's mails. I'm sure something's going to get mixed up sometimes. Yeah, it's a tiny bit annoying. Yeah, it's a tiny bit of an inconvenience. The Gemara says if you go 40 days without any mis misconstruing thing, without any sort of yesurin, any sort of inconvenience, you better be worried because you're in big trouble. You're not supposed to go 40 days with any type of inconvenience or mix-up or yesurin on any level. We pray to Hashem to have a tiny yesurin. Lo ra'im, we say in one of our prayers every day. So it better be a small thing than a big thing. Yeah, I reach into my, we ask, like the Gemara says, it's better to have a, a reach into your pocket and p pick out a quarter instead of the dime you really needed for the change. Better to reach in your pocket, take out a $5 bill instead of a $1 bill. That's the type of Yusurin we want. Chas v'sham lo we should never ever want any type of Yusurin on any big level. But if we have to have something, let it be a tiny thing like I got the wrong mail. I got the letter from 80, from 75 instead of 86. Go return it. Don't make a big deal. Put it in their mailbox and zeho. That's it. No reason to embarrass the person. No reason to make the person feel upset or diminished. It's better to jump in a fire than to embarrass someone in public, right? Public doesn't mean a 600,000 people like Rosh Hashanah, but public, I believe, means outside, where other people can see you, other people can hear you, other people can witness it. Better to jump in a fire like Yehuda and Tamar. Tamar was about to be burned at the stake rather than shame Yehuda in public. And Marukva and his wife were jumping in the fire rather than reveal themselves the source of giving charity to the guy who was stalking them, trying to find out who they were. Better to jump in the fire than to embarrass someone. Especially for Mekadashim Shemayim. Endure the tiny, tiny aspect of the nuisance of returning the wrong mail. Endure the wrong cafe latte. Endure the wrong decaf. Endure the wrong thing 
rather than embarrassing someone, and you'll be better off for doing someone no one ever benefited by angrily lashing out at someone. Nobody ever benefited by angrily being passive-aggressive to someone. Be Mikadosh Shem Shemayim. Understand the little things really count. Understand that the little things are important. We are supposed to be that shining example and inspiration for the world. It is no coincidence that the same has told true in our land of Israel with our army, having upright morals and codes of conduct, even trying to minimize as much casualty as possible, even though no one else on earth would do so. A lot of times we are the ambassadors for Israel. We are the ambassadors for the Jewish people in the land. They see a kippah, they automatically start against us. We have to have what to respond. We have to have logic on our side. We have to have facts on our side. My wife has painstakingly been on Facebook defending Israel with so much logic, so much factual basis. Unfortunately, the the schmachers on the other side don't even want to listen to logic half the time, but we still have to be prepared. Still understand that if you're at work and someone says a comment, do not let it slide. Do not let it slide. People have to understand the truth of the matter. People have to understand the logic of the matter. If you're the only Jew in the office, for some reason Hashem put you to the test that you have to be the stand-up to, to, to defend Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKodesh, to defend the wonderful people who are fighting on the front lines. Understand that we are in the right. We are defending ourselves. We have every right to do so. In our own day-to-day lives, we can make that difference of being Mekadashim Shemayin in every single day through very small ways, even through small measures. When you interact and speak with others, you make sure to speak in a nice way. You make sure to speak in a gentle way, without raising your voice, without causing a commotion, even if you're right, even if you're quote-unquote allowed to do so, it's not worth it. Don't make a scene. Don't cause a ruckus. Don't bring shame to yourself, your family, your friends. Don't bring shame to the Jewish people. Don't bring shame to Hashem. Act in a way not to vilify, but to sanctify. Let's talk a little bit about what the term means. What does it mean, Kiddush Hashem, officially? JewishVirtualLibrary.org explains, when we talk about Kiddush Hashem and Hilul Hashem, Chilul Hashem, we're talking about antithetical terms. Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name. Chil Hashem, defaming God's name. They're complementary antonyms and denote the two aspects of one of the most significant concepts in Judaism. They imply respectively the glorification of the God of Israel and, and the diminution of His honor. The specific terms are rabbinic. The concepts themselves, however, are biblical in origin. Are included the 613 mitzvot, the commandments. You shall keep my commandments and do them. I am Hashem. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name. I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who hallow you. That comes from Vayikra. We're going to look at it again later, soon, and later. The entire people were subject to these principles, although the priests were especially cautioned to avoid Chilol Hashem. Again from Vayikra. It could be seen that man is responsible for God's honor in the eyes of the world. Moshe and Aharon were punished because of their failure to sanctify Hashem's name. Coming from Bamidbar and Devarim, Hashem's name must be sanctified not only before the Gentiles, but in the eyes of Israel as well. Yirmiyahu accuses his countrymen of profaning God's name when they circumvent the law and emancipate their slaves only to capture and enslave them again. Amos condemned extortion from the poor and immorality as Chilol Hashem. Eshtakams points out from Rabbi Sachs, 
Zechar Tzadok Levracha, Allah Shalom. The Pasuk says in Amor, Do not desecrate my holy name. I must be sanctified among the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy, brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am Hashem. The two commands are respectively the prohibition against desecrating Hashem's name, Chil Hashem, and the positive corollary, Kiddush Hashem, that we're commanded to sanctify God's name. The commands of Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem locate that responsibility in the conduct and fate of the Jewish people. This is what Yeshaya meant when he said, You are my witnesses, says Hashem, that I am God from Yeshaya, from the Navi. When we behave in such a way as to evoke admiration for Judaism as a faith and a way of life, that is a Kiddush Hashem. A sanctification of God's name. When we do the opposite, Chas Shalom, when we betray that faith and way of life, causing people to have contempt for the God of Israel, that is a Hashem, a desecration of God's name. When Jews behave badly, unethically, unjustly, they create a Chilol Hashem. They cause others to say, I cannot respect a religion or a God that inspire people to behave in such a way, to behave in such a reprehensible manner. The same applies on a larger, more international scale. When Jews are faithful to their mission, when they leave, live and lead and inspire as Jews, then God's name is exalted. That is what Yeshaya meant when he said in God's name, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. That is the logic of Kiddush Hashem and Chal Hashem. The fate of God's quote-unquote name in the world is dependent on us and how we behave. No nation has ever been given a greater or more faithful responsibility. And it means that we each have a share in this task. Listen to what Rabbi Goldstein, the chief rabbi of Africa, of South Africa, and the, the founder of fame of the Shabbat Project, the beautiful idea where every year for a week on Shabbos, everyone's supposed to come together, try to do Shabbos, the whole Jewish people. So he writes on Aish, in relation to the three teens who were brutally kidnapped and killed in 2014. In defiance of the mighty Roman Empire, which destroyed Yerushalayim and our temple, Rabbi Akiva taught Torah to his disciples, for which he was arrested and brutally murdered on a bed of nails. And some say it was these hot iron rakes. Low Elena was a terrible, terrible description in the Gemara. In his last moments, he said the words of the Shema and became one of the greatest symbols of Jewish martyrdom in history. And yet, the Talmud tells us that as he was dying... The angels in heaven, the Malachim, cried out before Hashem with the terrible question, Zuhi Torah Zuhi Schora? This is Torah and this is its reward? At this time of agony in 2014, as we all saw the pictures of the pure shining faces of Gilad Sher, Ayal Yifra, and Naftali Frankel, and of their bereft parents, when we saw the sad, lonely, flag-draped coffins, we could also could almost hear the angels in heaven thunder and protest. Zuhi Torah, Zuhi Schorah! This is Torah, this is its reward? Our Torah teaches that anyone who dies defending the mitzvahs, like Rabbi Akiva, or who sacrifices his life defending the Jewish people as thousands of Israel's brave soldiers have done, or any Jew who is murdered merely because he or she is Jewish, like the six million martyrs of the Holocaust, is considered holy, someone who died al-Kiddush Hashem for the sanctification of God's name. We are taught that their souls ascend to the loftiest heights of Gan Eden into the close embrace of God Himself and they become immortal heroes of Jewish destiny. Gilad, Ayal, and Naphtali left this world as heroes of Am Yisrael, of the Jewish people, heroes who died al-Kiddush Hashem 
sanctifying God's name because they were murdered for one simple reason and one reason only. And that is that they were Jewish. The last words of the murder journalist Daniel Pearl were famously, My mother is Jewish. My father is Jewish. I am a Jew. Shortly after uttering these words, his abductors murdered him. Daniel Pearl was murdered for being a Jew, and he died al-Kiddush Hashem. Gilad, Ayal, and Aftali were murdered for being Jewish, and they died al-Kiddush Hashem. They joined generations of Jews brutally murdered by enemies across thousands of years, and different continents who had one common vision, complete destruction of the Jewish people. We should never have to know from such terrible things. We should all be Zohar to only have to live Al-Kiddush Hashem. To have the challenge to live for 120 years, we should be Zohar, Al-Kiddush Hashem. Living every day to sanctify God's name. What did you do today to sanctify God's name? What will you do tomorrow to sanctify God's name? What can you look back on your day every single night to every single night to say I was able to mimikadish Hashem in a small tiny way today? I am happy to be an ambassador of the Jewish people. Listen to these fascinating stories of an example of a story of a kiddush Hashem. It doesn't have to be a crazy thing. We have crazy stories, but it doesn't have to be a crazy thing. Again, like the personal example is a small, simple thing. Just to be able to look every day and say, What did I do today to be Mikadish Hashem? Listen to this awesome story from H.com with author Chaim Goldberg. After an Easter visit with her parents, Renee Kay was driving home to South Carolina when her pickup truck started acting funny. Alert and quick thinking, a passing motorist waved her over to the shoulder where they notified her of a flat tire. Out of the car stepped Shimon and Mayer, two... Out of the car stepped Shimon and Mayer. Sorry about that. The phone call almost went bananas, but thank God we're okay. Out of the car stepped Shimon and Mayer, two identifiably religious yeshiva students returning from their Passover vacation, who proceeded to help Renee change the tire. Renee was driving alone, which did not leave her husband Greg feeling at ease. You have no idea how helpless I felt being a couple hundred miles away, not able to really do anything, he reflected. He spoke with the guys and again with his wife, at which point he sensed a calm in Renee's voice, which helped me relax because I knew she was in good hands. Are you in good hands? Not just Allstate, but in general, as the Jewish people should help others. And it wasn't just what they did, but how they did it. Despite being in the stressful space of the side of a highway and not having all the tools they really needed and they ideally needed, Renee and Greg noted that these generous, service-oriented boys were patient, persistent, and got the job done. We are so grateful for their positive, persistent, and gracious attitude. Renee offered to pay Shimon and Mayer, but they declined the offer. She insisted she must do something to repay them for their kindness, to which they replied, just share on social media, that the two Jewish boys stopped to help. Pause. Lahavdal. This reminds me of in Tanakh, in the Navi. Alicia... 
had an interesting, perplexing character, that of Gehazi. Elisha did wonderful, wonderful miracles, you know, reviving people, you know, restoring oil and, and setting people and giving them fortunes from natural means. One time, a Shunammite woman, this is very famous Haftorah from one of the Torahs throughout the year, one time, a Shunammite woman, you know, had, had no child. But she saw that Elisha would always pass by her way whenever he was going to teach the Jewish people. And she said to her husband, let's make a little nook in the attic for him. We'll give him a bed, we'll give him a chair, we'll give him a desk, we'll give him a lamp. This way he'll have a place to come. So Elisha would happen by them and stay by them. And you know, he said to Gehazi, ask them what they need. Gehazi says they don't have a child. Elisha says, by next year you'll have a child. And the wife says, please don't deceive me, let it be true. Next year you'll have a child. The child goes up, he's about seven or so, according to the commentators, a little, little boy. He complains of having a headache. And he says, Mama, my head. So the dad, he says, my head, my head. He, the dad says, bring him to his mother. Unfortunately, Loleno, he passes away. Alicia finds out how. The mother is aggrieved, bereft, and, and very, very, very upset. She saddles her donkey, and she's about to go to Alicia. And the husband says, where are you going? It's not Rosh Chodesh. She says, don't worry, don't worry. She runs off to Alicia. You can imagine the, the, the drama involved in the story. The lady comes to Alicia. Alicia says, what's going on? The lady runs and grabs at his leg, whether it's metaphorical, literal, whatever, in those times. And he says, leave her alone, because he's about to pull her off. He says, leave her alone. She's very aggrieved, and Hashem has not told me what's going on. Very much paraphrasing. The lady says, my Lord, didn't you... Tell me, promise me a child, and now the child has died. Elisha says to Gehazi, and this is the pivotal comment, which will relate to the story we'll get back to in a minute. Go directly to the land. Do not look right or left. Do not veer right or left. Do not talk to anyone. Go to the child with my staff. Set the staff on the child. The child will be revived. The problem was, Gehazi had a little bit of a gaiva, a little bit of an ego, and he would pass people, I think the commentators explained, and said, this is the staff that will revive the child. I'm going to revive a child on behalf of Elisha. Lo and behold, he went to the child. Do you think the child was revived? The child was not revived. He comes back to Elisha, tells Elisha, nope, didn't work. Elisha said, did you talk to anyone? He said, yeah, I might have mentioned once or twice. No, man, what are you doing? He runs to the child, he puts his hands on the child's hands, he puts his eyes on the child's eyes. He literally prays to Hashem, beseeches Hashem, warms his spirit, and the child is revived. He sneezes seven times, and and uh, he lives. Some people say he might have been the Yonah, the prophet, whatever. But another instance, Gehazi goes, and Naaman, one of the famous generals, gets saras. And Naaman comes to Elisha, you know, you know, he tries to figure out what to do. And they say, you know, there's a prophet who does miracles. Go to him. And Naaman says, no. And they say, what do you have to lose? So Naaman goes. And uh, and Elisha says, go bathe in the, in the rivers of the Jordan, I believe, in the Yardane, and you'll be healed. Naaman scoffs and says, why should I do this? And, and the, his officer says, if he told you to go buy thousands of pearls of things, wouldn't you do it? You can't go bathe in the waters? So Naaman does it. Lo and behold, he's saved. He comes to Elisha, and he's awestruck, and this is the pivotal moment for Kiddush Hashem. And he says to Elisha, what can I give you? Elisha says, nothing. This is all from Hashem. Hodu Hashem. And the story would have been perfect, if not for the miserly, egotistical Gehazi. Again, we cannot judge anybody, but based on the story, Gehazi goes, after Elisha starts walking away, and Gehazi says, no, my master really meant, you know, we'll take some money. He was a little bit greedy. So he totally diminished and diminished the beautiful Kiddush Hashem and he, he lessened the power of it. And Gehazi, we're told, is one of the four Hedyotos that do not get Olam Haba. 
one of the four non-kings who don't get Olam Habi, we learn in the, in the Gemara. Lahavda, 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 you have someone like that who totally diminishes the Kiddush Hashem. Here, Shimon Omer, they're offered to have anything. What can I do? Can I pay you? Can I give you something? They decline the offer. Just share it on social media. What a beautiful way to do the Kiddush Hashem, unlike the other example. Lahavda, just share on social media that two Jewish boys stopped to help. What did Renee do? She did so. While she's otherwise a relatively anonymous person on Facebook, this Facebook post garnered over 800 reactions and 325 shares. Amid a backdrop of rising anti-Semitism across the country, across the world, it's nice to have some positive publicity to help fight against the influence of negative media characterizations of religious Jews. But Shimon and Mayer's primary motivation was to simply do the right thing. The boy's actions on the highway were inherently a sanctification of God's name, Kiddush Hashem, with the subsequent Facebook posts amplifying that Kiddush Hashem further. What a noble and selfless request. They insisted their names remain anonymous as well. Renee's son declared, I vow to spread a random act of kindness in y'all's name. Never underestimate the ripple effect you can have on people. Someone saw this story and said, Look, we're the chosen people for a reason, but that's not the right answer. Being the chosen people does not automatically make us special. We were chosen to be tasked with the responsibility of bringing the Divine Presence into the world. By increasing awareness of Hashem through mitzvot, good deed, and sharing Torah wisdom. When we perform acts of kindness, like these two boys, we are worthy of that title. Let's learn from these two boys. Remember that as Jews, we are always serving as ambassadors for the Jewish people. What can you do to sanctify Hashem's name today. H.com points out from author Ria Bachner, In the age of Craigslist, it's not unusual to find household goods for a bargain. But for New Haven, Connecticut Rabbi Noah Moroff, an office desk he bought through their website for $200 turned out to be an investment with incredible dividends. Returning home with his purchase, Moroff and his wife found that the desk would not fit through the office door by quote-unquote a fraction of an inch. When they took it apart, they discovered a bag containing the previous owner's inheritance to the tune of $98,000. Pause. What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? There's a famous, famous TV show, Lahabdul. With that exact question, what would you do? Different people are given different situations. They could be onlookers and whatnot. Different social situations are put on purpose. And the audience is is, is asked and tasked to, re- to react. What would you do? And what do they do? One of the times there's a, there's a check that's on the floor. And most people pick it up, pocket it, look around, take it and run. One person picked it up and searched and searched and searched till he finally found the host, the producer, whose check it obviously was, and gave it to him. Lo and behold, who was that person? A religious Orthodox Jew. And he said that's the only person that searched and did that. Everyone else took the money and ran. So the question becomes in our lives as religious Jews, what would you do? So in this story, what did they do? Morov, a teacher at the Yeshiva of New Haven, told news station WTNH right away, what did we do? My wife and I sort of looked at each other and we said, we cannot keep this money. When they called the original owner to return the bag, she was stunned beyond speech. She had hidden the money in the desk and could not find it once it slipped behind the drawer where it remained stuck. Can you imagine 
being bereft of an inheritance of almost $100,000. Unbelievable. After Morov and his wife returned the money, they received the following note from the previous owner. I cannot thank you enough for your honesty and integrity. I do not think there are too many people in this world that would have done what you did by calling me. I do like to believe that there are still good people left in this crazy world we live in. You certainly are one of them. With a single decision that most people probably would not have made, again, what would you do? Rabbi and Mrs. Moroff exemplified one of the highest precepts of Judaism, Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of God's name through righteous and praiseworthy acts. When the Jewish people accepted the Torah at Har Sinai, we were not only taking on the 613 commandments contained therein, we were also agreeing to act as God's representatives to the rest of the world. His PR team, so to speak, our conduct when guided by the Torah, is meant to set an example for the rest of humanity for how we should live. This, by the way, is the reason why we Jews get a lot of attention when we slip up and why the media works so hard to vilify us. To vilify us! Don't vilify, but sanctify! The media works so hard to vilify us, especially in our current crazy times. Listen to this interesting fact. When the press reported the Bernie Madoff scandal, for example, nine articles out of ten included the detail that he was a Jew. What in the world does that have to do with the article. It's an interesting piece of information, but it wasn't really pertinent to the story. Including it in, in the story functioned mostly to throw stones at Jews. Every day the false messages spread across the world that Israel is an apartheid state, quote unquote, that we abuse our own citizens, are the perpetrators in crimes against human rights, the Palestinians, not understanding the real truth in what is happening in the world. The rest of the world benefits from our bad press because it means the bar for behavior is lowered. But every act of Kiddush Hashem we do has the tremendous power to offset these negative messages and to imbue the world around us with holiness. Every act. What would you do? What can you do every day? Every time we make the choice to act with decency, kindness, and respect. Every time we do the right thing, even when it's hard. Lefum Sara Agra Perkeavs teaches us, even when it's hard, we're showing the world what human beings are truly capable of. And in the age of social media, this message can reverberate around the world. Thinking of social media, I think of Mayor Kay, a Jewish religious famous internet personality who makes inspirational videos about love and peace. His website, MayorK.com, M-E-I-R-K-A-Y-E, shows different fascinating videos that he does. Wikipedia explains Mayor Commonson, better known by Mayor K, stage name, is an American internet personality best known for his inspirational vlogs, video logs, and interviews on YouTube, which have amassed over 350 million views. And his social media presence with upwards of 1 million followers. He is known for his interviews with inspirational people. And vlogs where he posts updates about obscure places, including a Bolivian mine. And while rafting down the Amazon, he makes YouTube videos showcasing random acts of kindness. We actually saw one this week. We're going to talk about it in a minute. His many videos, including some about gratitude, one about giving a crazy hug. Here are a few examples. One of them is called A Valuable Lesson for a Happier Life. One of his most popular videos has been viewed on Facebook more than 270 million times on his page alone. In the video, a professor gives an important lesson about time management, focusing on the important things in life. The professor takes an empty jar, fills it first with golf balls, then pebbles and sand, and then beer. 
Every time he fills the jar with something, he asks his students if the jar appears full. Inevitably, they answer yes, only to be proven wrong as each new element is added. It was uploaded in 2016, been translated to many languages. Mayer has explained his goal is to spread joy, positivity, and inspiration for others to pass on kindness for the videos that he creates, and he wears his kippa, he wears his sitzes, especially in the recent videos at least. Another video he has called Kids Decide Between Helping the Homeless or Ice Cream. In the video, he's seen in an ice cream van give children a dollar to observe how they went about spending it. The video was uploaded in 2015, got millions of views. The video is noticed by several media houses seeing kids giving money to homeless instead of buying ice cream for themselves. How wonderful. The Most Generous Boy in the World is another video posted in 2017, got more than a few million views. Shows him playing a waiter in a food chain where a kid comes with limited money, couldn't order what he wanted. He orders an ice cream and left a thank you note with the tip. And then he has another video called High Five New York from 2014. It was one of his most popular ones. He's seen giving a high five to the people, stuck out their hands to hail a taxi in New York City. In his most recent video, which was fascinating, we just saw last week, my wife and I was called Blindfold Hug Experiment. He wrote on an oak tag that he was Jewish and stands for peace and wants to see who stands with him. And anyone who stands with him should come give him a hug. Don't worry, he's wearing a mask. He didn't really touch them, you know. He gives hugs to those who agree while wearing a kippa and sitzes. Fascinating. Many people actually did give him a hug. He explains on his website, this on Facebook actually, this is by far one of my most meaningful videos where I was truly able to drop in, be with my fellow humans. With the rise of anti-Semitism and attacks on minority groups in general, I took to the streets to stand for peace, for understanding and connection while Dafka wearing his sitzes and kippa. I had many open and honest conversations, which only reminded me how we have more in common than we are led to believe. Love and respect one another. Let's make this world much more of a peaceful and brighter place together. This is a beautiful example of an ordinary person doing extraordinary things, a religious Jewish guy making a Kiddush Hashem in simple ways in the process. Listen to this fascinating other story by Malki Lowinger. Yatidna Amun, yated.com, points out, Y-A-T-E-D.com. The New York City subway system can be a bleak, dreary place, but on one Thursday night, it positively glowed with kindness and goodwill. That's when Isaac Thale, a middle-aged from Jew who lives in Brooklyn, allowed a young African-American gentleman to rest his weary head on his shoulder. When a fellow passenger offered to wake the young man, as it was clearly uncomfortable for Thale, he answered, He had a long day, so let him sleep. We've all been there, right? When the Q train, a train that I have actually taken myself in the past, finally reached Newkirk Avenue, Thale stopped. He gently woke the young men and disembarked. That would have been the end of that. Except that one of Thale's fellow riders was so impressed with what he saw, he took a picture on his cell phone posted on social media. It was the beginning of a media sensation. Something about the sight of a Jewish man, a religious man, caring for a young black man in a hoodie on the subway tugged at the heartstrings of just about anyone who saw the picture. The picture gained in popularity was shared on the internet, was eventually discovered by the media. One thing led to another until Isaac Thiel became a worldwide celebrity, eliciting comments of praise and approval from virtually everyone. Because his yarmulke identified him as Jewish, he also became the source of a first-class Kiddush Hashem. The New York Daily News wrote, Isaac Thiel is just trying to help out a fellow New Yorker. Photo has made him a global celebrity. The Huffington Post said, Sleeping stranger subway pig defines empathy and is a lesson in being good. A lesson in being good. The Gothamist explained, Strap hanger napping on stranger's shoulder renews faith in humanity. At one count, over a million people expressed approval of the subway picture. That number is only a fraction of the millions who have actually seen it. In a world where the news is mostly negative, 
and the media generally focuses on scandals and misfortune, the simple story of Isaac and his fellow subway rider made a powerful impact. Sometimes it does not cost anything to make a Kiddush Hashem. A kind heart, an empathetic mindset, and a comfortable shoulder are all it takes. Listen to this fascinating figure that H.com points out from author Rabbi Horan. Rabbi Carrie Friedman used to be a congregational rabbi in Linden, New Jersey. One time, he was delivering a eulogy at the request of a local funeral home. As customary in such instances, he agreed as long as the burial was conducted strictly according to Jewish law. Since the departed and his family were unaffiliated Jews, Rabbi Friedman kept the speech fairly simple, offering the family much comfort by speaking in universal terms that everyone could understand. As the service concluded, a man approached Rabbi Friedman and introduced himself as a friend of the family who had come to pay his respects, and also as a senior officer in the FBI. What? He had been very impressed with Rabbi Friedman's eulogy, he explained. It was very spiritual, yet simultaneously universal and non-judgmental. For some time, he said, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the national branch in America, had been looking for a man who could speak in just such a way. Could you duplicate that on a regular basis, he asked. Rabbi Friedman said that he could. That I think you're the man we've been looking for, the agent told him. We need someone to teach spirituality at the FBI Academy. Rabbi Friedman stood there baffled, wondering, why does the FBI need to learn about spirituality? Intrigued by the challenge, Rabbi Friedman consulted with, the, with Rabbi Yehuda Parnes, who pointed out that the United States legal system fulfills one of the seven Noachide laws. All non-Jews are mechuyav in seven laws. One of them is about the court system, not even eating every menachai, not being immoral, you know, um, not murdering, things like that. So one of the seven Noachide laws providing courts of law. Therefore, it would be a mitzvah to help them continue to do so, especially if they were made aware that this is one of their biblical obligations. It would also be an opportunity to discharge a debt of gratitude that the Jews of the United States owe to the police force. And the icing on the cake, it would be a kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's name. Robert Friedman accepted the job immediately, became an extensive training process at both the FBI and National Academies in Virginia. For months, he studied their training methods and spoke to hundreds of officers while reading everything he could find, excuse me, on the psychology of law enforcement. His goal was to put together a curriculum so every police officer, regardless of religious belief, would have the tools to prepare and strengthen him to handle the problems that would arise. The rabbi thought to himself that the question could be, why are these people in the job in the first place? That's the gasoline. They're in it to protect and serve. They want to help the world. Deep in their soul is the desire to do good. Only spirituality can provide that motivation. The proper tools are needed to continue to justify and enhance the initial drive. A year later, Rabbi Friedman had developed a curriculum which he then expanded in his book, Spiritual Survival for Law Enforcement. The book has enjoyed great success. Some police academies have started awarding copies of it to police academy graduates. New Orleans Police Department distributed a thousand copies to their officers who were subjected to overwhelming stress during the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, where marauders roamed the streets, wreaking even more havoc on the already devastated city. Rabbi Friedman explains how with a belief in God, the world is in truth essentially a safe, good place. A fascinating thing he points out is that even though every accident or crime scene shows the evil of the world, one can also notice how much good is present as well. Namely, all of the helpful emergency workers and concerned bystanders who are there doing whatever they can to help. It becomes all about outlook and perspective, in my opinion. How do you view the cup? 
How do you view the world as half full or half empty? Are you an optimist looking for the good or a pessimist only seeing the bad? You see an accident and you say, oh man, the world is a terrible place. Or you see an accident and you say, Lo, Elena, we should have known from such things, but look how many people rush to respond and help. At the same time, the rabbi explains that the spiritual tools cannot compromise the defensive awareness that the police officers acquired during their training. We must deal with police officers, put them in touch with their spiritual sides without weakening their resolve and producing a bunch of uninformed wimps, Rabbi Freeman explains. We're not dealing with social workers, we're dealing with police officers. Any spirituality awareness we peddle must not threaten their image or culture or self-perception of invincibility. Spiritual interventions must strengthen them and the resolve to do the job, not weaken the resolve in any way. These newfound infusions of spirituality must energize, not enervate them. What an amazing example of Kiddush Hashem, among the other shining examples of true Kiddush Hashems. A person can utilize their talents to shine a little light on the world and sanctify God's name in the process. You've got to use your voice, use your words, use your abilities, use your capabilities. Use your talents. Make the world a little more peaceful, a little more beautiful, a little more godly. It will go a long way. The effects could and will be felt along the, along the whole world. Again, the question is, what would you do? What can you do? What will you do? What can you do every day? What can you look back at your day and say, what did I do today to be Mikadosh Hashem? The source itself from Vayikra says, don't profane my holy name. I need to be sanctified in the Jews. We shall be holy to Hashem, not profane the name of Hashem. Offer what we can for Hashem. And that's the main point. Our main job is to sanctify Hashem and His Torah through a beautiful life of mitzvahs, learning in chesed. The Gemara in Yuma asks, what are the circumstances that cause desecration of God's name? It's everyone on their own example. Rav says, I'm a public figure. If I don't give money immediately when I get butcher, the meat from the butcher, people think I don't mean to pay at all. They're going to think I'm a thief. Abaya, when he bought from two partners, he paid each partner so each know would be would know that they were paid. Rabbi Yochanan says, if I walk four cubits without Torah, without tefillin, people are going to think it's a desecration of Hashem's name. Yitzchak from Rabbi Yana's school says, if, if people are embarrassed, the friends are embarrassed, account of his reputation, this is desecrating God's name. Rabbi Nachum Bar Yitzchak says, if you Profane God's name, if people say that he reads Torah, he learns mission, he serves Torah scholars, but his business is not faithful, he's not pleasant with other people, that is a Chilol Hashem as well. We need to do what we can to be Mikad Hashem Shemaim in our own ways in whatever small aspect we can. And that's another point to remember. Realize you are a walking ambassador for Hashem. The Jewish people and the Jewish land of Israel understand this. Know this. Watch what you do. Watch what you say, especially with the kippah on your head and the tzitzes around you for the man and with the Jewish way of dress for the woman. When you're walking around, people are watching you. They're judging you. They're hopefully learning good things from you. The Gemara and Shabbos says it's disgraceful for a Torah scholar to go out in the marketplace and patch shoes. Don't go out with ripped pants and, and pants that are fully stained. We don't want people to say, ah, oh, these Jewish people, they, they dress like gross people. They have no self-respect. We are princes and princesses of Hashem. We need to dress so and act so. Rambam points out in Mishnah Torah, in Yisodeh Torah, it's mandatory upon the whole house of Israel to sanctify the great name of Hashem. It's another point to remember. We are the princes and princesses of Hashem. Walk around like a royal prince. Walk around like a royal princess. We talked about that in the loyalty of royalty lecture. Remember to walk with proper modest attire and action and behavior. We are the children of Hashem. We should dress and act as such, bringing glory to His name and presence. The Gemara in Sanhedrin points out, 
Rabbi Yochanan says in Rabbi Shimon ben Yehudzadik's name that all the transgressions of the Torah, if he's told, if you're told to transgress them and you won't be killed, you can transgress them except for the big three. This is the famous Gemara of Odezara, Gilarash, Vichastamim, idol worship, forbidden relationships, and bloodshed. We have to die by them. In general, we're supposed to live by them. Excuse me. Vachai Bahem, Veloshe Yamut Bahem, the Gemara points out. Mitzvahs are given us to provide life but not that you will die by their observance, except for the big three. You have to realize that you cannot be more precious than your than your possessions. Your body is not more... If you have a person whose more body is precious to him than his property, then it says with all your soul. And if a person's property is more precious than his body, it says with all your might. With whatever you have, you have to serve Hashem. should not have to be killed for Hashem. We should never know from such things. But at some level, we have to understand that like Rabbi Akiva and those in history and the Shoah and the, the three teens we talked about, understand that everything is for Hashem. Our life should be for Hashem. Gamar Brachos points out on 61, you got to love Hashem with all your heart, your soul, and your might. Rabbi Lezer says, with all your soul, with all your might, it means that if one's body is dearer than his property, you got to do with all your soul. You have to give your soul for Hashem. If your money is dearer than your body, with all your might, with all your assets. Rabbi Akiva says, all your soul means even your God takes your soul, which is kind of foreboding what was going to happen to Rabbi Akiva. Tragic that he realized that way early on in his life. That's another point to remember. We must be prepared to give our all for Hashem, even our resources and very life, God forbid, if it is demanded of us, we should never know from such things. How much more so we must give up of our time and our days and our living days of 120 years, we should be Zohar, every single day for Hashem and His Torah, influencing those around us for good and for doing good. Mechotah to Rabbi Yishmael points out when it says, For my lovers and the keepers of my mitzvahs, what is it talking about? The Jews who dwell in Eretz Yisrael give their lives for their mitzvahs. A person has to circumcise his child. Why are you going out? I read in the Torah. Why are you, why are you doing this? I ate matzah. Why are you be given a hundred lashes? I took the lulav. Why was he beaten? Because he did all these mitzvahs. Throughout history, so many times we were hurt because of the mitzvahs. But dafka, that's how we sanctified Hashem's name. Dafka because of that. It's another point. Realize what's really important in this world, what really brings sanctification in this world. It's not a big house. It's not a grand car. It's the morals and the values of the people, the Jewish people living in their modest homes. They're modest cars living an authentic, modest Jewish lifestyle, sanctifying God's name. Gemara Kasuvas points out those are the big three that has to give up the life. Again, idol worship, forbidden relationships, and murder. That's when you have to be killed. And generally, you're supposed to live by the mitzvahs, live for Hashem. The Gemara Yuma points out when you love Hashem, you have to, even if a person reads Torah, learns Mishnah, serves the Torah scholars, be pleasant with other people. That is a wonderful thing. But if you do all these things, but you do not do well in your business, you're not ethical in your business, you're not ethical with those around you, it's still a major chil Hashem. And that's woe to the people who didn't study the Torah property and woe to Hashem who's disgraced. God forbid. That's another point to carry over. Doing missiles, learning Torah, being kind, compassionate, loving is the best way to really sanctify God's name in this world. Gemara Vodazara points out, keep my statutes and my ordinances to live by them. Live by God's mitzvahs, not die by them. It's a source of the that one may violate a prohibition order to save a life. The matter applies in private, but in public one may not transgress the prohibition even to save life. But others say even in public you got to save the life. you got to do what you can to be saving a life. There's a whole section actually in Smicha now. We're working on part four where it talks about what can you do to save someone, a sick person, what can you do to transgress to save a person, especially if they're in need of being helped. 
That's another point to carry over. On some level, living a life of Kiddush Hashem is harder than giving up a person's life, as one is a constant obligation every day, while the other one is a one-time excruciating decision that one should never, ever have to make. Lo Make sure to live every single day doing something to sanctify God's name, the Torah we so love, and to stand up for the wonderful land of Israel. The Sefer HaChinuch points out we don't do anything through which name of Hashem is profaned among people. God forbid, do not profane Hashem's name on any level. The, the Rambam points out in Mishnah Torah in, in, in Hilchos, Balachim, and Milchamot, a non-Jew may violate the commandments if he has to because he's not commanded to sanctify the name. But we are commanded to sanctify the name. We have to do whatever we can. The Kedis Yitzchak points out, even if a few people are guilty in immoral acts, the Torah treats the matter as if there was a whole collapse of morality. Even if a single act, a single individual at a single time is not good, it really collapses the whole thing. You can't say, I'll drill a hole in my part of the boat and it'll be fine. The whole boat will sink. You can't take out one spoke of a wheel and think the whole wheel will be fine. The wheel won't do well. We are all one unit. We all affect one another. If one person at the right time, the right place can redeem the whole nation, Mashiach, so can acts of individuals bring about national misfortune, God forbid. David brought Geula when he took down Galias, one person. Lahabda, we can do things ourselves, one person, one thing at a time. And that's another point. Every single one of us are important effectors that can have large consequences and ripples across the entire world. We each have immense power to do good and sanctify God's name. The Gemar Psachim points out, What did Hanani, Mishal, and Asara see that saw that they were going to give up their life for Hashem, when, when Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow to idols and they said we're going to die rather than worship idols, they didn't know they would be saved, but they said we have to go into the fire. Rather, they said we're going to learn from the frogs in Egypt. It said the river will swarm with frogs, will go up into your house, your bedchamber, your bed. When, when are kneading bowls found near the oven? You know, so they said it is an a fortiori, which is a kalvachomer. You must say when the oven is hot. If in order to fulfill the commandment to harass the Egyptians, the frogs entered burning ovens, all the more so we, Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah, thought we are commanded concerning the sanctification of the name of God. We should deliver ourselves to be killed in the fire furnace for that purpose rather than to bow down to an idol. So the point is, if frogs can do so, how much more so, we must do so during our life to live, sanctifying God's name every day. The Medrash Tanchumah points on Lach Lecha, hinting to the idea of Or Kazim when it talked about double fire, which is a reference to Avram being thrown into the fire. It says, what shall we do for our sister? That day shall be spoken for, alludes to when Avram was ordered into the furnace by Nimrod, the great warrior, not a great person, but a great warrior, hurled into the fire furnace. If she will be a walled, that Avram would set his soul as firm as to wall to withstand Nimrod's many attacks and accept martyrdom in order to sanctify the name of the Holy One. We build up a tart of silver as defense. Avram stood up for the beliefs of Hashem, even though he might have been killed. You know, his brother jumped in also, but was not saved. Yavamos points out, why regarding Saul's sons were they punished? They were put to death. It doesn't it say fathers should not be put to death for their children, neither shall children be put to death for their fathers. Saul's sons didn't sin. Why were they put to death? So Rabbiabar Abba said in the name of Yochanan, it is better that one letter and one mitzvah be uprooted from the Torah in this manner rather than the name of heaven be desecrated in public. Parhesia. And that's the point to remember. We must endure flames, such as the flames of embarrassment. Do what we can to avoid any embarrassment to Hashem or the Torah. God forbid to prevent any desecration of the name of Hashem. God forbid. The Gemara Shabbos points out 
Bryce Rab Shuman says any mitzvah for which the Jews sacrificed their lives at the time of the decrees of the wicked empire, usually referring to Rome, such as the prohibition of idolatry, the mitzvah of circumcision, still steadfastly observed. Any mitzvah for which the Jews did not sacrifice their lives at the time of the decrees of the wicked empire, like Tefillin, is still casually observed. And that's the point to remember. Any mitzvah or Torah learning we push ourselves for, we sacrifice for, will stay with us and be there for us and protect us. The Dera Hashem points out, when someone gives himself over for the sanctification of the name, it is one of the conditions of the commandment a man must decide in his mind to give over his life for Hashem. May he be blessed, accept all afflictions, all types of death for the sanctification of his name. And it's as if he had actually done it in practice and was killed for it, even though there are many times that we should never ever know from such things. But really, in general, we should live our life al Kedush Hashem, and Hashem Kiviachal holds it as such when we're willing to go to great lengths for him. The Al-Sheikh points out in, in Devarim, If your mind is attached to serving Hashem, there is no fear that you will be drawn after your eyes. Bind your tefillin to the arm and next to the heart so that you're, you follow your eyes to Hashem and you follow your heart to do what Hashem wants. On your hand, the performance of positive mitzvahs connected to the heart. On your being, accept upon yourself to give up your lives rather than transgress prohibitions. Make sure your heart is pure to follow Hashem in His ways with all aspects of your body and your being to sanctify Hashem with whatever is possible to influence good things for those around us. We're just going to wrap up the points to carry over. Thank you for staying with us. Our main job is to sanctify Hashem and His Torah through a beautiful life of mitzvahs, learning, and chesed. Realize you're a walking ambassador for Hashem. The Jewish people in the Jewish land of Israel understand this and know this. Watch what you do. Watch what you say, especially with the keep on your head. Tits is on your guard. People are watching you and judging you, hopefully learning good things from you. Make sure you walk around like a royal prince or princess with proper modest attire and action and behavior as we are the children of Hashem. Should dress and act as such, bringing glory to His name and presence. We must be prepared. To give her all for Hashem, even our resources, very life, God forbid, if it is demanded of us, we should never know from such things. How much more so we must give up of our time and days and our living days of 120 years in Merch Hashem every single day. For Hashem and His Torah, influencing those around us for good and doing good. Realize what's really important in this world, what really brings sanctification in this world. It's not a big house, a grand car. It's the morals and the values of the people living in the modest Jewish homes and the modest cars with the proper morals, living an authentic Jewish lifestyle, sanctifying God's name. Doing mitzvahs, learning Torah, being kind, compassionate, loving is the best way to really sanctify Hashem's name in the world. On some level, living a life of Kiddush Hashem is harder than giving up a person's life, as one is a constant obligation every day, while the other is a one-time excruciating decision that no one should ever have to make. Make sure to live every single day doing something to sanctify God's name, the Torah we so love in the wonderful land of Israel. Every single one of us are important effectors that can have large consequences and ripples across the whole world. We each have immense power to do good, sanctify God's name. Think about the frogs. If frogs can do the will of Hashem to jump into the furnace, how much more so? Allah has come of come. We must do so during our life to live, sanctifying God's name every single day. We must endure flames, such as flames of embarrassment, and do what we can to avoid any embarrassment to Hashem, or the Torah, God forbid, to prevent any desecration of the name of Hashem, God forbid. Any mitzvah Torah learning we push ourselves for, we sacrifice for, will stay with us and be for us and protect us. Make sure your heart is pure to follow Hashem in His ways with all aspects of your body and your being, to sanctify Hashem with whatever way possible to influence good things for those around us. I will leave you with this. What would you do? 
If you were confronted with these stories we mentioned, these fascinating, beautiful stories, what would you do? You saw the tire on the road, what would you do? You saw the 98 grand, what would you do? You were offered to work for the FBI, you don't know anything about FBI, what would you do? You're offered the idea, the idea to influence others, what would you do? You're offered these things, you see these things, you're on the subway, someone wants to rest on your shoulder, what would you do? What can you do? What will you do? Can you go to sleep every night saying, I know for a fact I did something today to be Mikadosh Shem Shemayim? Every day, some aspect, some tiny level, whether it's a podcast or a sheer or a lecture, something you write, something you do, something you teach others, something you do for others, a smile, a wave, interacting. Hi, how are you today? What's your name when you call people? Anything you do, what would you do? What can you do? What will you do to me every day that you could reflect on the day every day and say today on some level I was Mikadish Shem Shemaim. I did my part as an ambassador of the Jewish people, an ambassador of Hashem, an ambassador of the Jewish land. What will you do? This has been the lecture series with Reb T and I'm your host Reb T.